Hi, my name is Spencer and welcome to my Kaizen Life Inspired by You, where we talk about life, mindfulness, adventure and things done by ordinary people like you and me in the most epic way. Thanks again for tuning in and um, I'm sorry I've been away for about a month or so and I was just taking time off to get certain other aspects of my life in shape or in order and um, just building other parts so at the time it, it really was not very very viable for me to um, be doing the podcast because I would have done something which was um, subpar the quality which I would like to deliver but I'm back now and um, thanks for sticking around really um, appreciate you guys um, waiting out for me to um, come back to you Today I'm going to talk to you about something which um, it's really personal as always and um, the lessons I have learned from it I would say um, these series of events actually um, shaped my life, the way I see the world and um, the way I envision the kind of life I'd like to live in the future. Now. Imagine this, you are seven years old, you're coming back from school, your school is not too far from your house, it's like half a kilometer away and you're used to walking back with your little sister who's two years younger than you, hand in hand. It just so happens that on this day is the same day that they are releasing the results of the presidential elections. No one anticipated that things were going to turn out the way they were. I leave school, I get my sister from her classroom, and we're joyfully walking back home. As a kid, you really don't sense these things until you see them happening. About 100 meters away from our home, I can hear a voice which I recognize and this person is just begging for their life and they're saying please don't kill me i am just going to go pick up my children from school their school is right over there if you give me just a minute i will run i will get them out i live right over there that's how far my home was from school the voice of this person was my dad I recognized it immediately. Now my ears are searching for where this voice is coming from and I look at a roundabout and I see my dad on his knees and there are guns pointed to his call. There's about six soldiers surrounding him and that is when I begin to notice what is going on. Every place around me is, there's just military men everywhere. They are kicking people. They are pulling them out of their cars. They are molesting people. It's just chaos. As a kid, you would run to the thing that you know can guarantee you safety. At that point, it was my dad. But again, at that same point, my dad had guns to his head. I start running towards him with my sister in my hand. And 
I find myself stopping in the middle of the road because the safest point or the safest point of reference that I know is no longer safe anymore. I have nowhere to go to and I just stand there frozen in the middle of the road. Now imagine you're experiencing this as a six-year-old. The person who is your bedrock, the strongest person, the strongest man in your life, the strongest point of reference in your life is helpless. You see it, you know what's about to happen, your mind is not playing tricks on you. As a kid, that's something which you would never ever forget. Standing there in the middle of the road, not really sure about what to do. I finally come to my senses and um, I decide it's best if I back off, if I just hide somewhere. But then I look again at my dad and I can see him pointing at me and he's saying to this policeman, military men, not policemen, and he's telling them, those are my two kids. I was going to get them out of school and take them home. Those are my kids. Please don't kill me. And I can see he is crying and begging for his life. My father is eventually let go. He runs to us. He picks us up and we walk into our house. This was in the year 1992. I'm six turning seven that year. And what had happened was that the country had had its second round of presidential elections since its independence. The sitting president had somehow found a way to keep himself in power by cheating in the elections. The main opposition leader, a certain Nijon Frundi, who comes from the English-speaking side of Cameroon, or what is known as the Anglophone region of Cameroon had managed to outsmart the president and get more of the votes but because the president controls the military and everyone else he had imposed a lockdown and declared himself as winner of the elections now this is just one story or one event that has dominated my life as an English-speaking Cameroonian, an Anglophone. The president, by the way, is from the French-speaking side. If you visited Cameroon within the last 10 or 20 years, you would see that it is a happy country. People are generally happy. But below the surface of that happiness, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of malaise. People are generally not too happy the truth is they have given up and they have said okay this is what life has got for me and this is what i'm going to live with they make their peace with it and they go on it is suffering every single day in cameroon for about 80 or 90 percent of the population and more of the suffering comes from what is known as the Anglophone region, the English-speaking side. And this is because we generally, or were in the first place, not part of Cameroon. 
who used to be known as the Southern British Cameroons. When the Germans lost the war, the First World War, they split the country, they divided the country between the British and the French. Each of them took one, of the, one side of the country as their own territory. And since the reunification of the country, which made the English and the French speaking side as one, the English speaking side has become the marginalized part of the country. A few years ago, almost six, about six or seven years ago, the teachers and the lawyers, they went out on the streets for a peaceful march to demand for an audience to speak to the authorities just so that they could be recognized as their own entity. Reason being, the lawyers, they study English law, but then back in Cameroon, they say no, you can't practice English law, you have to practice French law. So they just simply wanted an association which will enable them to practice English law. Why study, why offer English law in the country if people are not going to be able to practice that? Either English or common law, if people are not going to be able to practice that. The teachers on the English speaking side of the country were losing their jobs to French speaking people. This frustrated a lot of parents. And then you also had the influx of a lot of people or children from the French-speaking side to come and get an English education. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But the people in the English-speaking region just found that they were being pushed further and further back. They were not advancing. There was nothing that was being done in their favor and they just wanted they just asked to be considered a little bit more but as it's customary in third world countries where you have an incumbent leader who's been there for about 37 years now their first reaction is always to send the military out to kill any kind of you know uprising no matter how peaceful it is and that's what happened they sent out the military, they beat the lawyers, they shot some of them, but then things escalated. Things got to a place where people were like, okay, we cannot take this anymore. We've been marginalized for so, so long and we need to stand up for ourselves. In the midst of all of this, there is a group that has been planning to separate itself from the whole country and somehow they become the pushers of this movement. They then take it upon themselves to demand to be removed from Cameroon and to form their own country known as Ambazonia. And that's where all the trouble starts. A lot of the English-speaking Cameroonians are abroad. There's not a single family in the English-speaking part of Cameroon that doesn't have someone who's abroad. A lot of the money that we make as expats goes back home to look after our parents, our families, and other people who were there while we were growing up. So with the help, or I dare say manipulation of the people abroad, the people back in the English-speaking part of Cameroon were led to believe that they would be free of French-speaking Cameroon. So, 
for the last six years they've been protesting they've been rioting and the government on its part has refused to give them an audience and they've just turned the area into a proper war zone my parents live there businesses have been crippled no one is able to work for the last six years if you're able to work you work maybe for three or four days and the rest of the days are ghost towns there are certain places which you cannot venture into because you know you now have rebels who are patrolling the area and they're fighting with the military and the civilians are now caught in the crossfire so it's become an area where there's a lot of burglary the rebels are kidnapping people and asking them for ransom to fund the war which they are fighting the rebel groups are also popping up here and there every week another group comes up and you know how it is there's no order it's chaos earlier this year the first week of march one of my friends reached out to me and she told me spencer you're going to be tested this year and this was just when corona was starting to pick up and i was like well corona is already here and we're already feeling the effects of it and she said no like that's just a sign it's going to be a really really crazy year but just be patient keep calm and you'll get through it now this is someone that i hold in high regard or higher esteem you know in what they do and i tend to listen to such people because sometimes i am that kind of person who believes in signs you know who feels energies and shifting patterns a week later after that for some reason i wake up at about 3 a.m and um i check my phone and i discover that i've had about six missed calls from my sister who's in canada and i don't call her back i send them I, I just check my messages because if she calls and she doesn't get me the next thing she'll do is she'll leave me a message and the message she sent me was do not call mom's number do not call dad's number dad has been kidnapped at that point my friend Steffi who had reached out to me earlier a week before I just hear her voice in my head and I was like so this is the test that she was talking about obviously I'm not able to go back to sleep I'm confused I don't know what to do and I just wait for daybreak and I try to reach my sister again and she tells me what happened people had broken into my parents compound made their way into the house and um, they were going to abduct my mom they misidentified my parents in the first place they thought they were someone that they weren't and um, they said they were going to go away with my mom the point they guns at their heads my nephew was there and the reason i opened up with the story of me seeing a gun pointed to my father's head is because it's happening again where now it's my nephew 
who is with my parents. He's five years old. People broke into the house, put a gun on both my parents' head in his presence, and then my dad goes away with these people. You can imagine what that kind of thing does to a child. Normally, we say certain things are not repeated in one generation, but that was it. I faced it. My sister's son, my nephew, has already faced it. It hasn't been broken. The cycle is still there. My sister finishes to tell me the story and we are like, okay, what do they want? How do we go about this? We find a way to get to our mom and she was very calm and she said, it's okay, we're going to sort this out. Let's wait and um, see what they want. These people have made a way with my mom's vehicle. They have put my father in the booth. It's a very peaceful man. They put him in the booth and drove away. And we waited 24 hours before we got the first message from them. They had somehow managed to contact someone. They took my, they had taken my parents' phones. So they had my dad's contacts and everything. So they reached out to someone and then this person reached out to my mom and then they started the negotiations. They asked for a really, really crazy amount of money. And um, we said, okay, we were going to pay X amount. I'm not going to disclose the figures, but it wasn't a comfortable sum of money that you just have lying around. It took us about three days to raise the money, another day or two to meet a middle, a broker, and then another day for my dad to be released by these people. That's the situation in which families live in the English-speaking side of Cameroon. You had, you could be kidnapped at any time. I've been on the phone with my mom just calling her to find out how she's doing and she stops on the side of the road because she doesn't want to drive and be on the phone at the same time and she is robbed while I'm on the phone with her. That's how insecure the country has become, especially the English-speaking side. There's also the last time I was back home was in December 2015. And since then, every time I've wanted to go back to go visit my parents, where they have told me, please do not come. If you come here, you will be shot. You will be killed. Two years ago, I planned a trip with my mom. She was going to meet me in Europe and we were going to, you know, just catch up and travel around for a bit. She got to the airport and they told her she's not going to be able to leave. You can only fly out of the country from the, Eng from the French speaking side of the country. So these are things which are happening right now and they continue to happen. Why am I telling you about the annual phone crisis today? Last weekend on Saturday, you had some kids in school in one of the um, cities in the English speaking region. Now, one of the tactics that was being used by 
the rebels or the secessionists or the people who want the English-speaking side to be free of the French-speaking side was that they said there was going to be no schools, no education. If they could go a whole year without educating people, um, the UN would notice it and other international bodies will notice it. They'll cancel the academic year. It's going to be a huge impact to the country and um, it will force the French speaking side and the leaders to, you know, bring out a table and let them discuss. That was the goal. It's been six years, there's been one discussion and there's been no progress. So stopping schools was one of their tactics. They've discovered that it's not really working anymore. And they've said, well, you can go back to school, but you can only go to certain schools. From what I gather, these girls were in school on Saturday doing catch-up classes. They range from like six to nine years old. Armed gunmen stormed the school and shot nine and shot all of the kids in the class. At this moment, eight of them are dead. More of them are critically ill and wounded and in the hospital. Some of them are on life support. This is one of the things that finally gained international attention. You could even see the Pope talking about it, or the world leaders condemning it. And it is all in the hope that the French-speaking side and their leaders will finally come to their senses and dialogue and speak to these people and speak to the people of the English-speaking side and just find out what they want and find a way to let the country move on. But I doubt that that's going to happen. I very much doubt it. But that's the situation now back home. As I sit here, I can't go back home. The very first time I left the country, I knew that there was no way I would ever want to go back to Cameroon to open a business, to build there. I mean, my other friends who are European or American, they asked me, why don't you go back home and settle there? It seems like a nice place. I say, yes, outwardly, it seems like a nice place, but it is impossible to get anything done there. It is impossible. You're either you're going to get robbed one day. If you're not getting robbed by thieves, you're being robbed by the government. You need to pay bribes here and there, you know. So it really irks me when a tragedy like this happens and someone says well if you guys were going back home and looking after your country it would be better and i'm like no how many times have we pleaded to the international community to stop supporting the dictators in africa the europeans and the americans they benefit the most from the chaos in africa if you look at congo coltan all of us using iphones myself included these minerals are being mined by little children so that we can scroll on Facebook and listen to podcasts like this once on the go and just, you know, live a better life. But the human cost of it is just, it's immeasurable. So when someone tells me, yeah, you guys need to look after yourselves and i'm like how do we do it we are powerless 
we can only garner the attention and the force of the international community to put pressure on our leaders and stop supporting them because that's what they do. A country like France in particular, like, get this, our money, the franc CFA, by the way, it's called franc CFA. It's not a Cameroonian currency. It's a subset of what used to be the French franc. They print our money. If I went back home and I wanted to print a passport copy for myself, so many times they've told us, you can't get a passport now because the paper which is used to make that document has not been sent from France. And this is a country which is supposed to be one which is independent. It's no longer a colony of France. Our timber, our bananas, our oil, everything goes to France. It goes to Europe. We are... It's far more complex that I can... Like, I cannot unpack everything in one hour on in this podcast it's far more complex but anyone who does just a little bit of research will understand and they know how crazy things are back in africa and why it stays the way it is now imagine someone like me to a certain degree I am well educated to a certain degree I am far better than 90% of the other people who are Cameroonians who live in Cameroon and I am still having these difficulties with my Cameroonian identity now imagine those of them who live right there in the thick of the soup and it's not only the English speaking side the French speaking side they suffer a lot of these things as well but we've just become complacent and we're like, okay, this is life. Like I said in the beginning, this is life. This is what we've been dealt. There is no progress from this. So all these traumas and like the two stories I've told you, this is, these are just examples of many things which, we, which have happened. Many experiences which we have. And like we are all shaped by our traumas and these experiences. Now imagine growing up in that environment and then becoming something tomorrow. Or you walk into a place and someone talks to you in a certain way and they call you an immigrant, like leave our country and do this and do this and do that without knowing anything about this backstory, where you're coming from and the things you have suffered. I'll give you another example. There's one of the MMA fighters now. His name is um, Francis Ngannou. If you watch MMA, he's one of the fastest rising people. He's from the French-speaking side, but even he had so many difficulties. Like if you follow him on Instagram, he always talks about his background. He used to dig sand in the river. Like they would dive for like seven minutes, fill buckets of sand and dive back up, fill them into trucks and get them to build in sites. He managed on foot to leave from Cameroon, through Chad, through Libya, to Morocco, got on a raft, crossed into Spain, and then into France, just to seek a refugee status. 
Like if someone is willing to take that kind of dangerous and treacherous journey, you must understand that where they are coming from is really bad. If I'm staying here with no hope, even if I want, even if I want, with no hope of going back home, and I tell you that, hey, I really love to go back home, but I can't. You need to understand it is really, really bad there. So these are the things we deal with. These are the things I have had to deal with growing up. The good side of it is that it's made me very resilient. There's nothing in this world that I think can challenge me to the point where I'm going to give up because I just think of the things my family has been through, the things I have been through and I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to beat this unless it, it, the only thing I know I can't beat is death. But anything else that's thrown at me, there's a way that I always find a way to move myself out of it. Any other Cameroonian, you see, they're like we're always bubbly because we've been through so much trouble. We know how to pull ourselves out. But we would like for the situation to change. Personally, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I hope that by you listening to this podcast, you get an insight as to what it is to be someone who doesn't have a home. Someone who doesn't have a place to call home. Doesn't have a country that they can pop back into at any time that they wish. And maybe, just maybe you might have a solution or an idea or a way to help. A way to make things better. Not for me, not for yourself, maybe for the next person that you see. It doesn't have to be a Cameroonian. But if you see somebody somewhere where you think they're not supposed to be, try asking them about their backstory. Try getting an understanding of what they have been through to be able to get there before you pass any judgment on them. That's all I've got for today. It's a bit longer than... The, the, like it's, it's a bit longer than the other things I usually talk about but I just needed to get this off my chest and that made the lives of these eight little girls that were killed last week really not go in vain and that we somehow find a way to live in peace in our country Cameroon and that the international community was listening and watching you put your leaders under some pressure to be able to put our leaders under some pressure to do the right thing. I hope this has been quite informative to you and I'll see you on the next one.